Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Wa salatu wa salam wa rasulullah wa la alihi wa sahbihi wa la. So we're <coughs> in this topic of visiting the sacred places. And we've been reading from this book, The History of Mecca and Mukarrama. <coughs> and uh, by Dr. Muhammad Adiyas al-Bughani. And so we left off last time talking about the different places at the edge of the Haram and the Hid. So we had said that there's the Masjid, right? And then there's the area surround directly surrounding the Masjid that's still part of the Haram. And then after that, you go into the Hil. So, you know, from like uh, uh, sacred and then normal, I guess. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to translate those things best, but not sacred in, in that sense. Um, and then outside of that, the next layer is where the Miqat are, where the Miqat are, which we'll talk about, inshallah. So uh, one of the things that had come up Afterwards was this question of Can you go to any of those places To If you're inside of Mecca and you've already made your Umrah and stuff or you live inside of Mecca And you're going to go outside You want to make another Umrah Can you go to any of those other places that were mentioned Or that we talked about Like Jairana and Hudaybiyah And uh, so on Then can you go to any of those places Or is it only Tan'im Masjid Aisha that you can go to and so uh, had a conversation afterwards with someone for the sake of recordings and live streams and stuff who will remain unnamed, hafidhullah. And it turns out that there are positions that you can only go to Tanaim. Uh But it's not the majority position. Majority position is you can go to any of those places. That being said, that's the edge of the Haram and the Hid. Then, like we said, if you're coming from outside of that whole area, you don't make your ihram from the edge of the haram and the hill. You make your ihram from the miqat. And the miqat are uh, specific places that the Prophet ﷺ specifically specified for people that are coming into Mecca from different directions. So he ﷺ specified that Dhul Hulayfa is the miqat for the people of Medina. That Jahfa is the Miqat for the people of Sham, the Qarnul Manazil is the Miqat for the people of Najd, and Yalamlam is the Miqat for the people of Yemen. These are specifically mentioned by the Prophet. Um, he also said that these will be the Miqat for people that come from other than those places but are passing like in that direction, right? Um, <coughs> and the people who live Within the Miqat, but outside of the Haram, they're in the Hill. They enter Ihram from their homes. You know, they're already there. They don't have to go to the Miqat. That being said, their Miqat are different distances. So uh, he has a little table here, away from Mecca. Qarnul Manazil is 80 kilometers. That to Iraq is 90. Yalamlam is 130, and Juhfa is 182 kilometers. And the farthest of them is Dun Hulayfa, the one that is for the people of Medina, which is 410 kilometers away uh, from Mecca and Mukarramah. So the first of them is Dun Hulayfa. Uh, it's also referred to by another area over there called Abiyar Ali, Ali. And it is 410 kilometers north of Mecca. And only... Uh, 
it's uh, 10 kilometers from the Mashhad in Nebui. So it's very close to Medina. Very, very close to Medina. So usually, like, what I was just talking to the tour guide guy about is that, like, basically, everything will get ready like you're going into Ihram from the hotel. Because <laughs> we're going to go to Medina first and then Mecca, right? And then uh, they just stop at the masjid there to pray to Rakab because the Prophet used to do that. And, you know, but we don't, like, assume Ihram there. For most Westerners, you don't want to do that anyways. Most Westerners are not accustomed to these kind of things. They're not accustomed to going to the bathroom in Masjid al-Azhar. They don't have the experiences of these kind of places <laughs> that keep you on your toes and teach you how to remain pure in the face of massive quantities of impurity. <laughs> Allah, Allah. So there's a big masjid there. The masjid can accommodate 5,000 worshippers in Dhun Hanayfa. Then the other one, like you said, is Qarn al Manazir. It's called that because of uh, the mountains. Uh, <coughs> it's like the, a mountain on top of a mountain, basically. It's the outcrop on the mountain. Uh, and it's from the direction of Najd. This is, uh, there's two masjids there just because of the location. One of them is called Masjid Sayyid al Kabir, and the other one is Masjid Wadi Muharim. So they're both in that, in that relative area. And, um, People that are coming from the Gulf, they're coming from Riyadh, they're coming from Ta'if, would all pass through that area. Uh, this is where the Prophet met Jibreel alayhi salam, and Jibreel asked him if he wanted him to, these are the angels of the mountains, if you want, they can, can they can destroy these people. That's at, uh, that's at this place of Qarn um, al-Manazil. <coughs> so that, if you remember that narration after the Ta'if incident, Right, so this is from the direction of Ta'if. It's coming back from Ta'if. The people that are coming from Ta'if, they would pass through there. And that's where Jibreel asked him, Your Lord has certainly heard what your people have said to you and how they responded to you. Allah has sent the angel that's in charge of the mountains so that you may command him as you like. So the angel in charge of the mountains told him, Ya, ya Muhammad, what is your command? Do you want me to bring these two mountains onto the people and destroy them? And the Prophet said, Rather, I wish that Allah brings from their progeny those who will worship only him. So that's the Prophet He's in it for the long game. So that's that location. That Iraq is the place for the people of Iraq. So you know they come from that direction. There's multiple narrations. One of them indicates that the Prophet specifically pointed out this location as well. Another one of them says that. Uh, that uh, in the time of Umar an, people came from that direction and they asked him where should we go because the other ones are far for us to go around considering our route and Sayyidina Umar gave them that particular location Allahu Adam, which one is true but it's 90 kilometers away from the Masjid and Haram and uh, uh, it says there used to be a Masjid there but you know now there's nothing there because th there's not really any road leading in that direction anymore uh, <coughs> next one is Yalamlam. It's for ye the people of Yemen, 100 kilometers away from Mecca. And uh, there is a masjid over there. It's called Masjid at Yalamlam. Uh, there's some interesting info on here, but it's kind of like more trivia based than anything else. You know, how many square meters is it and stuff like that. I don't think that's really what we're here for as much. And then Jahfa is the Miqat for the people that are coming from Syria and Egypt in that direction. 
<coughs> and uh, it's there's also a, a masjid in that direction. Uh, Juhfa has an incident related to it, which is that uh, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam met his uncle there, Al Abbas. So Al Abbas radiallahu an uh, had stayed behind in Mecca after the Muslims went to Medina. The Prophet ﷺ had given him special permission to stay behind, and uh, uh, he was actually leaving at that point, going from Mecca to Medina. And when he was going, he met the Prophet ﷺ when they were on their way to Mecca. Um, so they, you know, they they met there and. Uh, he had accepted Islam sometime before immigrating and stayed on in Mecca with the permission of the Prophet ﷺ. And he had the dual responsibility of tending to the Kaaba and providing water for those performing Hajj. Uh, after the conquest of Mecca, the Prophet ﷺ allowed him to continue with this task. Uh, and he passed away in Medina in 32 after Hijrah, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and he's buried in Baqiya. So then that leads up to the Kaaba itself. Kaaba itself. The Kaaba itself, the Kaaba has multiple, many names as mentioned in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Ja'alallahun Ka'batan Baytan Harama Qiyamin Linnas. Allah made the Kaaba, the sacred house, uh, as a. Um, oh, that's an interesting translation. By which the physical and spiritual safety and well being of mankind is maintained. Qiyamin Linnas. It's a support for the people. SubhanAllah, that's beautiful. It's a beautiful translation actually So this verse actually mentions two names It mentions the Kaaba and it mentions the sacred house These are both the names for the Kaaba Kaaba is also called in the Quran Baytullah, the house of Allah It's also called the Baytul Atiq in the Quran The ancient house It's called the Qibla actually The direction that we turned in prayer uh, There's multiple people who built the Kaaba Throughout history So when we in the first session when we talked about it We talked about it as being from the time of Ibrahim salam. Some people take it back further, and they say that the the Kaaba, actually the first building of the of of the Kaaba, is from the angels, and then from Adam salam, and then to Ibrahim salam. So, for example, Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhu narrates, um, and this is seemingly a, a more reliable narration. Abdullah ibn Umar narrates that. Allah sent Adam down to earth and he said to him, I am sending down with you a house around which tawaf will be made just as tawaf is made around my throne and which salat will be performed just as salat is performed around my throne. Uh, and then, you know, so that's the end of their narration. It says that when the floods of the time of Nuh salam, happened, the exact location was somewhat lost. They knew like in the, this is the general vicinity of where Allah's house is. And the, the, the but the exact location was lost. And that in the time when uh, Ibrahim salam built it, and he he like re-established the foundation, uh, then that became you know like the that which was built upon afterwards. So he says here in the book, for example, um, that they were unaware of the precise location where the house had been. All of the MBA though they would perform Hajj until Allah identified the place to Hadrat Ibrahim salam. So they would go to the location, they'd carry out the rites. But Ibrahim salam then knew the exact location, and he constructed use, he constructed the the Kaaba from rocks from the mountains that were around it. Um, 
He says that uh, Ibrahim salam built that the angels were the first ones to build it, and then they built upon that foundation. They said they said this is one of the interpretations of uh, Ibrahim and min al that they built, they raised the foundations. So they said that this is there's an indication in that that the foundation was there, and they kind of like built on it. You could look at it multiple ways, but this is this is one of the positions. Um, they also say that one of the reasons why we believe that uh, it was known that this was the house of God in this location, even if it wasn't fully built yet, was because after Ibrahim salam left his family there, then he made the dua that's mentioned in the verse, Our Lord, I have settled some of my children in a valley that, cannot, that is not cultivated close to your sacred house. Right, so if he, le- he just left them there, and now he's saying this is Indabaytik this is al-Haram, Baytik uh, al-Muharram Like this is your He's saying I left them there In this sacred house And there's not really anything there So that indicates that he had some sort of understanding Of its, its location And then Ibrahim and Ismail Of course they built it After Ibrahim and Ismail There's different things throughout history All the way up to Quraysh In the time of the Prophet Then after that Abdullah ibn Zubair Then after that Hajjaj ibn Yusuf and uh, Sultan Murad of the Turks Many, many years, thousand years after Hajjaj ibn Yusuf almost And then King Fahd In the modern period So uh, They they show like these this image of the foundation Foundational stones that are underneath the Kaaba in the ground um, Says that, I don't know Says that uh, It's an interesting thing that they say here For example, he says uh, the construction of the Kaaba took place after Ibrahim was done. Was also uh, after him was also done on the pre-existing foundation. Yazid ibn Harun rahimahullah says, "I was present when Abdullah bin Zubair radiallahu anhu brought down the Kaaba to reconstruct it in a manner that the Hatim was included within its walls. I then saw the foundation, which consisted of rocks that jutted out like camel humps. So he's saying that there's this foundation that was there, pre-exists the Kaaba that was, you know." The, the foundation had been, is ancient, he's saying. So uh, then he says, the author says, this narration also makes it clear that when Abdullah bin Zubair reconstructed the Kaaba, he did so upon the original foundation without disturbing it. The strength of this foundation can be substantiated by research done in 1417 after Hijra. When diggings were done to a depth of 1.4 meters, it was found that the rocks forming the Kaaba's foundation were firmly attached to each other without any cement. They were also found to resemble camel humps and their structure made it clear that it would ably support any further construction without any modifications. So they basically say, Allahu alam, what happened here? But this foundation that it was built upon was firm. Yeah, subhanAllah. So then, before the hijra of the Prophet by 18 years, the Quraysh decide that they're going to rebuild the Kaaba because throughout pa- time passing there's looting, there's floods, there's different just, uh, harm that's coming to this place. So they decided they were going to build it as probably people are familiar with the story. Even though they were not muwahidun, uh, they didn't want to build the Kaaba. They still had a sanctity to the Kaaba. And they didn't want to build the Kaaba with money that came from illicit sources. So the end result of it was that they didn't have enough money to actually build the Kaaba on the actual foundation. So it's on the foundation that it is today that doesn't actually include all of the original Kaaba. Um, 
and then they built that hatim, the semicircle, to represent that area. Uh, all of the area of the hatim is not what was the original Kaaba. Okay, so he he says in here that it's roughly three meters of that area. So you have to be careful. That's why they say when you make tawaf, you go outside of it. Because you don't want to, you know, you just don't take any chances. Go all the way outside. And uh, if you're praying in it and stuff like that, it's better to just face the Kaaba. Because you don't know, like, which part you're on. You know, mostly, like, the first three meters in that direction, this is part of the Kaaba. Just not built that way, as we talked about last time. That, um... You know, after Quraysh built it, and then the Prophet ﷺ had said to Aisha radiallahu anha that this is this is not the way. This is not actually the dimensions that Ibrahim ﷺ had built the Kaaba up upon. But and if your people weren't new to disbelief, I would have I would have rebuilt it according to this. But they're you know, so he he's saying they left it. He left it. Um, and then, as we had mentioned, then Abdullah bin Zubair radiallahu anhu when he rebuilt it. He rebuilt it on the original, but then it was destroyed after that. And then when it was destroyed, they built it on the old one. So, and they asked Malik about that later on. You know, this is early in the early generation. They asked Malik about it. Malik said, no, just leave it the way that it is because we don't want it to become a game for rulers. One of them decides, this one decides they want to change it. This one decides they want to just leave it the way that it is because people are making too much back and forth about this. It's going to take away from the sanctity of the place, right? Uh, in the in the minds of the people, obviously, it doesn't affect the actual sanctity of the place, but the minds of the people will. People sometimes, uh, you know, so Quraysh when they rebuilt it, they raised the doors. And the Prophet Sallallahu had said that if he was going to rebuild it, he was going to not have the doors raised, and they um, they took off the door that was on one of the sides, so they made it so there's only one door, and uh, there wasn't a roof on the Kaaba before the Quraysh rebuilt it, so they added a roof to it, and they added this little the water uh, spout, Mizab Rahma. There's a water spout And they raised the Kaaba Almost doubled its height So It wasn't about the height right? It's about the place So They raised the height And uh, You know that's That was all in the time Of the Quraysh uh, Quraysh So <coughs> I just leave it there right now So putting the Hajar Aswad in place So the Prophet And then we know the story That when the Quraysh Were building the Kaaba then uh, it, they came to the point where they had to put the Hajr al-Aswad and then everyone was going to fight with each other because this is a great honor and like our people want to do it and your people want to do it and everyone is ready to fight and then they said whoever comes from this uh, gate of Banu Shayba next is going to be the person who who we agree upon to arbitrate in our dispute uh, and that turned out to be the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and they said, "Al Amin, Al Amin, we're we're happy with his choice, and so on." And then the Prophet them came up with his brilliant solution to bring like a cloth, and each of them will uh, grab an end of it. Each of the tribal leaders will grab a piece of it, and he'll put it on the cloth, and then they'll all raise it to the place, and he'll take it off of the cloth and put it in the place. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam, which was a brilliant solution to a, a very serious situation. Um, So he sallallahu alaihi wasallam did that, and uh, this Benu Sheba gate. Interestingly, he has an interesting footnote in here. It says the Benu Sheba gate was originally the path that Quraysh took to the Masjid 
because it lay in the direction of their residences. When a gate to the Masjid al-Haram was opened at the house uh, at the home of Shayba ibn Uthman, who lived right beside the Masjid, the gate was subsequently called the Banu Shayba Gate. When the Masjid al-Haram was extended during the period of Khalifa Mahdi, this gate was included in the Mutaf, but its location was marked. So basically, as the Masjid grew, they marked where that location was. Now it became part of just where everyone was making Tawaf, but they had marked where that location was just out of like, you know, knowing where where this thing had happened, this beautiful story of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So uh, this marking was in existence until recently near the Maqam Ibrahim, but has since been demolished when the Mutaf was extended by the Saudi government. However, in commemoration of the gate, gate 26 between Safa and Marwa has been called Bab Banu Shayba. So the big takeaway from this is when you go to Safa and Marwa, you're going to find a gate that's called Bab Bani Sheba. It's not the same one. <laughs> that's, that's the big takeaway. It's in the general vicinity, but it's not the same place. Uh, but interesting that they, they had kept that for so long. So that, that was the one main gate through which everybody would enter the house. <laughs> the, yeah, the people of Quraysh lived on that side. Yeah, mm. so they used to come from that side. SubhanAllah. <laughs> so the Prophet them averted this big problem, and obviously that was a great, um, a great situation, right? Uh, then there's this other stuff that we mentioned. The Hajar Aswad itself, like that whole black area that's there, is not all the Hajar Aswad. So this is <laughs> uh, basically, I'll, I'll read you what it says. This stone is situated on the southern part of the Kaaba and lies 1.1 meters above the ground. Uh, whereas the Hajar al-Aswad was a complete stone Only parts of the stone are affixed to the wall of the Kaaba uh, Because it was broken during the Qaramita And other incidents So there was this incident Where the Qaramita They were like this sect That basically attacked Mecca And stole the Hajar al-Aswad And took it back to where they lived This was in the 300s after Hijra Muslim history is crazy so they managed, they attacked it and they stole the, they stole the Hajar al-Aswad and took it back to where they were in another area of Arabia and then it stayed there for 20 years until it was restored to its present location. This is so in 339 after Hijra. So basically when that happened and other incidents happened, it was broken into smaller pieces. So uh, it says now it consists of eight pieces of varying sizes with the largest being the size of a date. And the pieces were affixed to a large stone and then encased in a silver frame. So these pieces were put on the stone and the stone was put in that silver frame. Um, he gives you a picture of like, can you see it? Where, where the pieces are. Basically, if you get to the Hajar al-Aswad. Uh, yeah, don't shoot for like the right, the right <laughs> middle. You know, like if you imagine you're shooting pool. Like, don't go for that. Never mind, that's not a good example. Um, just the right part, like the right middle part is the, is the part that might, uh, you know, you might actually miss it. <laughs> the Prophet ﷺ said, The Hajar Aswad came from Jannah and was whiter than milk. It is the sins of mankind that had blackened it. Certain narrations tell us that the inner portion of the Hajar Aswad was still white. I feel that that is a translation saying like the side that's not showing. But Allahu alam what what's that uh, 
I, I didn't get a chance to check the Arabic. Mujahid Rahimullah says that he saw the Hajar Aswad when the Kaaba was rebuilt during the time of Abdullah ibn Zubayr radiallahu anhumah. He adds that the part of the Hajar Aswad that was embedded in the wall of the Kaaba was still white. So the side that was facing the Kaaba was still white and it was the outside that was turned black. It is therefore evident that the sins of mankind affected only the exto- exposed portion of the Hajar Aswad because this portion is black and cover the stone color. The stone has been called Hajar Aswad. It's been called the black stone. <coughs> then Ibn Zahira says, when the effects of sins can blacken a stone, how much damage would it do to the heart? SubhanAllah. Allah protect us. Uh, it's said that the Hajar al-Aswad is brought from Jannah and presented to Sayyidina Ibrahim salam to be placed in the corner of the Kaaba. And when the Quraysh reconstructed it, the Prophet them is the one who put it there. Uh, it's beautiful what he says here. Is by facing this sacred stone that the tawaf is it is by facing this sacred stone that the tawaf is started and ended throughout the ages innumerable people including the illustrious anbiya rasulullah himself and the sahaba the pious saints and all those performing hajj and umrah have placed their blessed lips on it that's pretty like when he puts it that way you're like wow subhanallah like how many prophets have kissed the hajj and aswad <laughs> like it's not it's not just uh SubhanAllah And yet we still have to have Like some level of adab With how we interact with trying to kiss it You know which is going to come Which is amazing when you think about it Like all these prophets have kissed the Hajar al-Aswad So you would think like I'm going to kiss that thing I don't care I'm like Get in there throw elbows Make some room because like prophets kiss this stone Right and that's not what you're supposed to do SubhanAllah So it's like this is a Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhum reports that the Prophet them touched the Hajar al-Aswad uh, He only touched the Hajar al-Aswad and the Rukni Yamani which we'll come to uh, Umar radiallahu anhu once kissed the Hajar al-Aswad and said I know very well that you are just a stone that can do neither good nor harm Had I not seen Rasulullah kiss you I would not have done so radiallahu anhu. So Umar was very strict on a lot of these things and uh, you know part of that is also that Umar is very early where there's there's a lot of possibility for confusion about what is acceptable and what's not acceptable, so he tends to be very strict on these things. That like he he'll tell the stone, if the prophet didn't kiss you, I wouldn't kiss you. <laughs> You're just a stone. Um, but there's you know other things to consider there as well. But he he was very strict on these things. Uh, actually, he says in here, Omar made this above statement because there were many people who were newly converted to Islam, and he did not want them to get the impression that Muslims revered stones and, and worshipped them the way that the Arabs did in the pre-Islamic period. So he was making clear for them what the Sunnah actually is. Um, he also conveys the message that the most important factor in the acts of deen is obedience to Allah and the Prophet wasallam, whether or not the wisdom is understood. So he said, I don't care. Whatever, I don't know. The Prophet kissed it, I'm going to kiss it. That's it's simple, you know. That's one of the things that's interesting about Umar and Hajj. Like modern Muslims, we... We have a tendency to rationalize everything. We want to just rationalize everything. If it doesn't make sense to me, next thing you know, it's, it's actually, it's happened. People are saying, well, maybe we should have Jummah on Sunday. Maybe we should do this. Maybe we should do this. We should, and some, all these things, right? Because in the end, like, where's the limit of what makes sense to me? Right? And so, the, but the thing about Hajj and Umrah is like, you just can't really go down that route. <laughs> Hajj and Umrah, there's, it's so much submission. 
Like, I'm gonna, yeah, I mean, it makes sense in a sense, but in the end, you're like going and you're picking up rocks and you're throwing them out of space. And you're walking around the Kaaba and you're walking between mountains. And I mean, like, a lot of it is just, it's straight up submission. Hajj and Umrah is very much, they're very much acts of submission. So there's etiquettes. Uh, when kissing the Hajj al-Aswad, one should neither push people nor harm anyone because kissing the Hajj al-Aswad is sunnah and causing people uh, harm is forbidden. <laughs> and so it's, it's recommended to kiss the Hajj al-Aswad. It's not required. And hurting people is haram. Just so print that out really big. Actually, I think it says that. Yeah, it says the government has made a post on the wall of the Kaaba that says this, <laughs> basically. <laughs> basically. Uh, although the Prophet, so it says, when the area is crowded, it will suffice to merely point towards the Hajar al-Aswad with one's hand or a stick while reciting the takbir and then kiss the hand or stick. Can you use a stick when so I told, I told my wife, that's it, you know, I'm getting a stick. I have a plan for but this stick I want to get in in Medina, inshallah. <laughs> I want to call it al-Madad. It's going to be a stick. I have a plan for this stick, you know. <laughs> I told her, and then I was like, but how come you don't see people in the Masjid al-Haram, like, pointing their, I bet they don't let you. It was, otherwise, you'd see, like, all kinds of sticks in there. <laughs> people would be going crazy while making tawaf and stuff. It'd be drama. It's hard enough without the stick, right? I think so. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people have sticks. You also use it to do other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the, m- that's the thing about sticks; they have multiple uses. <laughs> they're very useful, <laughs> and uh, you know, they're they're permissible to carry on modes of transportation and all kinds of stuff. Sticks are wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. Stick. It's also a mobile minbar. I used one last week as the first ever, <laughs> first time ever as a mobile minbar. It's very awkward to give khutbah when you don't have anything in front of you. I had like a short staff. It was wonderful. It's a great experience. Who is it? There's an American president. What's his name? Uh, Roosevelt, I think. FDR. Teddy. Teddy said to uh, uh, speak softly and carry a big stick. <laughs> Anyways, tangent. So he said to kiss the stick or kiss the hand or whatever. Although the Prophet Sallallahu them kissed the Hajar al-Aswad directly, he also pointed to this area when it was crowded. So it's clear that both of them were sunnah. Abdullah ibn Abbas said, Never crowd the Hajar al-Aswad, never harm anyone, and never be the target of harm. Uh, Ata was from the scholars of the Manasik. He was from the scholars of the rites of pilgrimage. He said, it will suffice to point towards the Hajar al-Aswad when reciting the takbir, and it's better than causing harm to someone when ki- by kissing it. <coughs> uh, he says an interesting narration here, that, uh, you know, specifically about women. Now sometimes they make time for women to go and stuff. Uh, every now and then you can catch it. But uh, Aisha radiallahu anha, one time she was making tawaf and she was trying not to bump into people and stuff. And some other women told her, come here and kiss the Hajar al-Aswad. And she said, no, because like the crowds are there and stuff. I'm not going to do it. Radiallahu anha. Uh, so another case they asked, they were passing through and they asked her, are you not going to kiss it, our mother? And she said, no, it's not necessary for us to kiss it. I'm not going to like put myself in that situation. But of course, if you can get there, then you can get there. He says the sound of kissing it should not be audible. Yeah. So, 
this is the best way to do it if anyone wants to do it. Right yeah. before Salah, make Talal. Yeah. And as everyone starts to line up, mm-hmm. position yourself in the, the soft, where you're like parallel to it. Mm. And as, as soon as you sit down, by default, the crowd will take you there. Mm. So you're like down, you're upstream you're from it. it. You're upstream from exactly. it when you say salam, and then the river exactly. will push you to right it. There, you're like the second first line, and you're there, no one's going to bother you, and no one's making to walk at the time. Mm-hmm. And as you say salam, you do that. And That's the line it. will just take you, and you don't harm anybody. No, yeah, mashallah. Yeah. If you're a man, right? Like you, know, you probably you can't. I think usually for Salat, they kind of push them back yeah. out of that it's really the front. The, the, the gonna pull you there. Mm-hmm. So position appropriately and you can exactly. slide in. And as you start lining up, you, stand, you sit like right directly in front of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good you advice. You can tell I practice it without hurting anybody. Mashallah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about the middle of the night? Two in the morning or something, three in the morning. Usually, it's, it's, usually it's pretty, it's not as busy. It's still busy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that before too, where they like are lining up, yeah. and it's actually kind of organized. Well, nice. And also, sometimes if you've seen the Harmain recordings, mm-hmm. you will see like as soon as the salam is done, people just jump on. <laughs> 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 sometimes if they if they are positioning the camera, they dive they for it. They're like, yeah, they just jump. <laughs> 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 it's a beautiful thing in the end when you think about it. Like you know. It's a beautiful thing because it's just it's it's solely out of love for the Prophet and them that anyone cares to kiss the Hajj that's what I mean in the end. What is it? It's a it's a piece of rock. Like it's it's only it's I mean, yeah, it came from Jannah, but uh, it's out of love for the Prophet and them that people are doing that, right? So all of this planning, all of this, everything is just you know. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. The Rodan. The Rodan. It's metaphysical. I'm like a relic, like, you know, a chalice or something. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I know not. So that's pretty much that. <laughs> he says uh, the sound of kissing it should. <laughs> Ibn Jubair, Sa'id Ibn Jubair, I'm just reading you the narration. Hadrat Sa'id Sayyid Ibn Jubair had mentioned that the sound of kissing should not be audible so that this kissing does not resemble the kissing of one's spouse. Hadrat Ata says, when kissing the hand after pointing towards the Hajar Aswad does not make the sound audible. So, you know, it's just symbolic. The silver frame uh, was initially made by Abdullah bin Zubair an, and was replaced by people that came later on. There's another area of the Kaaba called Al-Multazm. Al-Multazm. It's the area between the Hajar Aswad and the door of the Kaaba. It's a very short space, right? So you're facing the Hajr al-Aswad and then as soon as you start going in the direction of the Tawaf, the f- first thing you're going to see on that wall of the Kaaba is the door. So it's a space between the, the Hajr al-Aswad and the door. Yeah, uh, he was born. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was born and he was, uh, yeah, he was a Sahabi. He was young, but so that's the Multazm. Abdullah bin Abbas had stated the Multazm is the area between the Hajr al-Aswad and the door. So, 
Huh? Mul. Multism, yeah. Like the, the, the multism is like the thing that you are joined to. In a sense, you know, that's one of the meanings you could say. Something, if something is lazim to something else, that's why in modern Arabic, if someone, like it became this thing, and if someone is like religious, they call them multism. Are they multism? You know, they're like, they, they're stuck to the deen, kind of. Um, the reason for that is because this is an area where du'as are accepted and it is sunnah to hold the wall of the Kaaba in such a manner that the cheek, chest, and hands are against the wall. It is reported that Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu anhumah once completed the tawaf, performed salah, and then kissed the Hajr al-Aswad. Thereafter, he stood between the Hajr al-Aswad and the door of the Kaaba in such a manner that his cheek, chest, and hands were against the wall. And then he said, this is how I saw the Prophet sallallahu alayhi do it. Abu Zubair says that he saw Abdullah bin Umar, uh, Abdullah bin Abbas, and Abdullah bin Zubair. These are the three big Abdullahs. Actually, there's another one. Abdullah bin Umar, Abdullah bin Abbas, Abdullah bin Zubair. Uh, Abdullah bin Mas'ud. Abdullah bin Mas'ud, yeah, they're the four. The four Ab- Abadullah. Uh, Abadillah. They're the, these are the four Abdullahs from the Sahaba. Anhum. So he says that he saw all of, all of these three clinging onto the Muntazim, clinging onto it. Uh, Abdullah bin Abbas said the signs of acceptance for any dua made between the Hajar Aswad and the door of the Kaaba will certainly be seen mm. and Mujahid said Mujahid again is from the Tabi'in scholars of the Tabi'in from the scholars of Mecca because Mujahid is a student of Ibn Abbas which is Mecca yeah the area between the Hajar Aswad and the door is called the Multazim. Allah will grant a person whatever they ask for there and save them from whatever they seek refuge from. Okay, so that's the Multazim. I think maybe here we should stop because next time we'll talk about the Hatim.